It doesn't take much when you look around. So many people. So many wonderful people. So many people with needs, dreams, hurts, hopes, desires. Have you ever thought about what God dreams about? What keeps him up at night? What he desires? God in 1 Timothy paints a picture for us, and he tells us what he dreams about. He says he simply desires for all men to be saved. This is what God dreams about, his people. And what if we, as a group of 20-somethings, actually began to care about people the way that he did? What if we cared about their hurts, their needs? What if we tried to bring his people home? What if we made his people our people? What if I made his people my people? young adults. How is everyone tonight? Good? Great. Awesome. Hey, happy Thursday night. So great to be with you guys. And um, yeah, an honor tonight. This is a special series. Um, If you are just joining us, uh, you are joining us at the perfect time to get to know what Red Rocks Young Adults is all about, what we believe in, um, what the heartbeat of this place is, and what the heartbeat of Red Rocks in general is about. And so we started this series and it was kind of based out of uh, the vision that started last year at Young Adults. And that was this, that uh, we decided that we would start thinking less about what we dream about and that we would start thinking more about what God dreams about. And so if you do a word study, God doesn't talk a whole lot about, you know, what he dreams about or what he desires, but there's one verse in 1 Timothy that I love where Paul writes about what God dreams about, and he says this, God who desires all men to be saved and to come to the knowledge of his truth. And so if you are joining us, this is the perfect time because we believe as a group of um, young adults that the best that way that we can live our life is if our dreams are actually his dreams, if our ambitions are actually his ambitions. And what scripture is telling us is that what he dreams about, what God thinks about, the thing that is most on his heart, the thing that keeps him up at night is his people. And um, last year, this time, we had a vision night and we were getting ready for the meetup last year, which was incredible. And I believe it laid the foundation for everything that we got to experience this year at Young Adults. All of the faith and all of the prayers and all of the sacrifice that kind of went into that night, I feel like we're feeling the fruit of that now, and it's incredible. But we talked about our vision, and we talked about um, our, our threefold vision, and it's this. It's to bring God's kingdom to earth. It's to love everyone, no matter who they are, no matter what they look like, no matter what kind of background they come from, or if they, you know, act like you. It doesn't matter that you love them with the love that Christ has loved you with, that we love everyone that way. And that we live fully for his fame. These are the things that Jesus talks about. His people and his glory. And so um, if you are joining us, this is just such a great time, you guys, because 
what I'm hoping for and what I'm praying for in this series is that um, our heart wouldn't just be our heart, but that it would become your heart. And that you would realize as a Christian that this needs to actually be your vision for your life. And so um, you wouldn't just be a church attender, but that you would be a church builder. And so if you're taking notes tonight, um, I titled tonight very simply, and it's just this. It's a statement that Jesus made to Peter. And he said, Peter, I will build my church. So that's the title of tonight. I will build my church church. And so before we get into tonight, let's invite the Holy Spirit to be with us. God, um, I love you. I love your presence. I love your Holy Spirit. I love that you saved me. And I just pray that tonight that you would just come in, in a new way, in a different way. And I pray that tonight that we would be changed. I pray that every single person in here would become an ambassador for you. That they would understand, God, that their life is completely about your dreams. That their life is completely about your ambitions, God. That we would look to you for our cues, for how we're supposed to live. And I pray um, that you would just embolden us. That your Holy Spirit would come and be with us tonight. I set myself aside. God, this stage is yours. We give it to you. We love you. It's for your glory. In Jesus' name, amen. All right. So how many of you uh, remember middle school? Yeah, yes, yes. How many of you were actually cool in middle school? Hate you. Hate you. Right. How many of you were like obtuse nerds in middle school? Come on. Yes, right? Here's the thing, okay, that like psychologists say that in your middle school years is when you should be developing most socially. And like, it's like, I'm trying, like, but you show up, right, and your body hasn't gotten the memo that you're like trying to be cool. And you're the most, you know, hormone ridden, like just trying, you know, you're tall, but you're like gangly. Like this was me in middle school, right? I know this is hard to believe, but I didn't talk a whole lot, at least back then. And so I kind of like at lunch, like I'd eat my pizza. There was a girl um, and I ate by myself, you know, and there was a girl, um, her name was Danielle. Every day she stole my soda. Like this was my life, right? Like I was not cool in middle school. But my one claim to fame, my one claim to fame was that I was really, I was really good at school. Like in general, I was good at math, I was good at science, good at English, you know. And so, and so I could get friends for like two weeks before tests, you know. And so they'd be like, oh, hey, Jess, you know, and they'd be the cool people. And I'd be like, <laughs> for two weeks I had friends. And so that was my life. And so I, you know, not proud of it, but it's cool. I grew up later, you know, I ended up getting married. Everything worked out for me, all right? It all worked out for me. But, but there was one day where, you know, our science teacher, we're talking about force and we're talking about, you know, pressure and how to, how to um, you know, buildings and different types of structures and how they manage pressure. And so what we were supposed to do as a class was build a bridge, that was what we were supposed to do, build a bridge. And he gave every single student certain amounts of supplies and certain amounts of wood and a specific type of glue and whatever. And I was like, sweet, you know, like, this is my time to shine. You know, so I go home and I'm like researching in my, you know, Encyclopedia Britannica, anybody, come on. Like, like, like the internet, I wasn't super good at it yet. And so I was like, I got my books, you know, and so 
I'm reading about how to build a bridge. I build a suspension bridge, and um, that takes, you know, the pressure and the force from the middle of the bridge and kind of redirects it to the rest of the bridge. I build this thing, and I'm like, what's up? What's up? I show up to class, and everybody, you know, you set your bridge up there, and then there's a little contraption that he hangs from it, and then he puts, the teacher would add bricks. And the whole goal was to see how much, you know, weight could your bridge hold. Well, you know, the first kid goes and it holds like 20. And then the next kid goes, it holds like 30, you know, 25, 35, you know, somewhere in there. My bridge gets up there and I'm like, all right, you know. And he's like 20, 25, 30, 35, 40, 45. It gets up to 95 pounds. And I'm like, what's up? What's up? Was like, it's my, I have 550 days of pure hell in middle school. But that one day I was like, oh, hi, like, I I'm smart. You know, like, and so, and there is nothing though. And some of you who are in here who've built something that you're proud of, there's nothing like that feeling of when you build something and you put your hands to something and, and you put your heart in something and it withstands, you know? And we, we look at these things, we look at people's marriages who go 65, 70 years, and we look at it in awe. We look at the Great Wall of China that was built, you know, in 200 years, and it withstands, and we think, wow. We look at the pyramids of Egypt, and we think, my goodness. But isn't it interesting that anything that is built by human hands, that under a certain amount of force and a certain amount of time, with enough decay, eventually it breaks, right? And Jesus says in scripture that if we are going to build something that is going to last forever, if we are going to put our hands to something that never fades, the only thing that we are going to put our hands to that never goes away, that never fades, that never grows old, and that goes on forever and only gets better is his kingdom. And so what I want to ask you tonight is this. What are you building with your life? What are you building with your life? Because Jesus makes it clear in Scripture that his church is the only thing worth building with your life. Jesus talks in Matthew 16, which we'll get to in a second. So if you have your Bibles... Go ahead and flip open to Matthew 16, Mark, Matthew 10, and then Mark, Matthew 28. We'll get to those in a second. But Jesus is talking in Matthew 16, and this is right in the middle of his ministry, okay? He has just fed the 5,000. He has just, you know, healed a man with a withered hand. And so the disciples sat and watched as, like, bone was stacked upon bone and sinew, and, like, his hand began to flex and move again as he reached for Jesus. Jesus walked on water. He healed people. He was preaching. This is right smack dab in the middle of his ministry. He has been with his disciples for over a year now, spent tons of time with them, and people are arguing about who Jesus is. They're like, who is this man? Who is this man that's doing all of these miracles? Who is this guy that is doing all of this? And Jesus says this in Matthew 16, verse 13. When Jesus came to the region of Caesarea Philippi, he asked his disciples, who do people say the Son of Man is? They replied, some say John the Baptist, others say Elijah, and still others, Jeremiah or one of the prophets. But what about you, he asked. Who do you say I am? 
Simon Peter answered, you're the Messiah. You're the son of the living God. Jesus replied, blessed are you, Simon, son of Jonah, for this was not revealed to you by flesh and blood, but by your father in heaven. And I tell you that you are Peter, and on this rock I will build my church, and the gates of hell will not overcome it. I'll give you the keys to the kingdom of heaven. Whatever you bind on earth will be bound in heaven. Whatever you loose on earth will be loosed in heaven. Then he ordered his disciples not to tell anyone that he was the Messiah. So Jesus is with his best friends, his best friends, the people that know him best, that have been with him, have walked with him, have seen what he can do. And he says, who do you say that I am? And Peter pipes up and he says, I I know. I know who you are. I know. And the question I have for us tonight, no matter if you've been a Christian your whole life, or you've been a Christian a year, is who do you say he is? Is he a felt board image to you? Is he someone that's fireproof insurance? Is he someone who, you know, is distant? Is he someone who's removed from your life? Or is he your king? Is he your Messiah? Who do you say Jesus is? Peter looked at him and he says, you're the king. I know who you are. I have seen too much. We have come too far. I know exactly who you are. You're not a prophet. You're not someone that's human like us, although you are human. You are the son of the living God. You're the chosen one, the anointed one, the Messiah. I know who you are. And in that moment, the moment those words leave his lips, the exact moment after that, Jesus looks at him and he says, sweet, now I'm going to give you your call. Peter, you are going to build my church. And isn't it interesting that it doesn't take a revelation, it doesn't take a million prayers, it doesn't take you reading your Bible for 20 years for your call to be revealed to you. All it takes is for you to say, Jesus, you're the Messiah, you're my king, I serve no one but you, I pledge allegiance to you, and in that moment he says, awesome, someone I can work with. You're going to build my church. And I talk to young adults all the time, and they'll come in my office, and they'll be like, all right, Jess, so here's the deal. So um, I love God a lot, and I want to be called, and I feel called, and, but I just don't know what I'm supposed to be called to. And so I've been praying, and I've been asking for, like, a billboard sign or for, like, me to open up Scripture, and he's going to say, you know, Georgia, that's where I'm supposed to move. And then, and then that's going to be my call. Like, I'm going to go there. Like, but I've been waiting, and I've been praying, and I just don't know how am I supposed to know what my call is. And can I tell all of you tonight that there is only one call. there's specifics that kind of don't matter, but there is one call that every single person that says Jesus is the Messiah, there's only one call, and anybody else who tells you any differently is lying to you. There's one call, and it's to build his church. That's it. That's it. So who do you say Jesus is? Who do you say he is? Because if he's your king, then it's not to build your 401k, although that's awesome. It's not to build your resume. It's not to build your dream home. It's to build his kingdom. That's all we're here to do. And I think sometimes we get it confused because we think, well, well, I am a Christian, but surely my call is to be a teacher. No, 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 no. 
The priority is different. You are first and foremost a Christian, a little Christ, a disciple of Christ. You are secondarily a teacher, secondarily a pastor, secondarily a tech producer. You are first and foremost called to his kingdom. That's it. And so if you're in here tonight and you say, yes, I know who Jesus is, I know, then you know what your call is. Aren't you glad you came tonight? Who are you, Jesus? Who's Jesus to you? Build my church. And so you say, well, sweet Jess, that sounds daunting. Yeah, it is. <laughs> that sounds heavy. Yup. That sounds like it's going to take my life. Yeah. It is. And so how do we begin to build his church? In our sectors of life, whether you're teachers or students or doctors or engineers or nurses, how do you build his church? And I think Matthew 16 gives us a whole lot of treasure with which to pull from. And the first thing I think we can pull from is this. He has given you authority. He has given you authority. Matthew 16 says this, I will give you the keys to the kingdom of heaven. Whatever you bind on earth will be bound in heaven. Whatever you loose on earth will be loosed in heaven. When Jesus is giving Peter the keys to the kingdom, what he is saying in that moment, and every commentary I read this week said this, is that he is giving him authority. He's saying, Peter, whatever is under my authority is now under your authority. And every commentary I read this week said that the same goes for every disciple of Christ. Bob? I don't know. He's always the person I preach to. If you're in here and you're Bob, here's the keys to the kingdom. Whatever's under my authority, Bob, is under your authority. Here's my authority. And it's interesting to me because in Matthew 28 and in Matthew 10, in both of those scriptures, he is sending out his disciples to go and preach the gospel. In Matthew 28, it's the Great Commission, we all know it. And in Matthew 10, in both of these scriptures, he talks about sending them out with his authority. In, Ma in Matthew 28, he says, all authority has been given to me. Then he says, therefore, which means because in lieu of that, he says, go. You have my authority, go. In Matthew 10, it says this. It says, oh, there we go. And he called to him his 12. This is the very first time the disciples are going to go preach the gospel. And he gave them authority over unclean spirits to cast them out and to heal every disease and every affliction. He gave them authority. And I was um, thinking about it this week because authority can kind of be misconstrued for power. Like we think like, oh, well, that means I'm really powerful in Jesus. Um, and kind of, right? But it's different than power too. Because if, you know, who loves Sunday night football, right? We love our Sunday night football. And you'll see the dudes on these fields, you know, and you'll see like your favorite players, you know, you're like Raheem Moores, and they're like, you know, they're like 350 pounds of like sheer muscle, right? And they're out there and they're just like athletic beasts, you know, and Tom Brady's like in the corner deflating a ball. And like, you know, and you'll see these like, you'll see these like, these powerhouses, and they're out there and Yo, I don't know. I used to wait tables at the chop house. One night I waited on a group of Broncos and I was intimidated. These powerhouses, just intimidating when you look at them, 
just big, just huge, just powerful. But there's somebody else on the field, and he weighs about 180 pounds, and he's got a striped shirt on, and he's got flags in his pocket. And the deal with him is, is he has authority. And so no matter how big these dudes are, no matter how bad these dudes are, no matter how powerful these dudes are, they have to submit to the authority of the ref. This is what Jesus gives his disciples. In Matthew 10, before he sends them out, he knows, young adults, that we're scared. He knows that it's daunting. He knows that you are about to go out into the world and you're going to say his name to a world that doesn't like his name. He knows that it's going to be difficult. He knows you're scared. He knows it's hard. And so he says, I'm going to give you my authority and you will see lots of intimidating things out there. But I have given you authority and so have rest. Be at rest. I'm with you. I've given you my authority. And isn't it interesting that he says to Peter that he's giving him his authority? Peter, who shoots from the hip. Peter, who like is the most uneducated out of, out of all of Israel. He's the one who didn't get the job. He's the one who didn't get the job to follow the rabbis. He's the one who's fishing for a living. He has a mediocre job when he meets Jesus. He's younger than most of you in here when, when Jesus meets him. And Jesus says, hey, I'm going to give you my authority. Do you know what I think is awesome about this? Is that Jesus says, I love working not with perfect people. How boring. I love working with redeemed people. I love working with people who understand that they don't have to be perfect. All they have to do is trust that I'm the Messiah and I can work through them. It's good news for you and for me. And you know the only qualification, the only qualification for receiving his authority is what? Who do you say I am? That's it. The only qualification. Peter, who do you say I am? Well, you're the Messiah. Who do you say he is, young adult? Because for me, I was thinking about it this week, he's my everything. Take away my job, take away my husband, take away my child, take away my life. My soul is at rest because of Jesus. I will live and I will breathe and I will die proclaiming the name of Jesus. He sets my world right. He's my everything. He's my king. I know who he is. Do you know who he is? Because if you do, he says, here's the keys to the kingdom. He's given you authority. Number two, it's going to be hard. It's going to be hard. I got an email this week, and this woman was like, Jess, why is like, sharing Jesus so difficult? Why is it so hard? And um, I think we get a clue in Peter's story. Jesus says, I will tell you that you are Peter. And on this rock I will build my church and the gates of hell will not overcome it. I love this verse because he says the gates of hell don't win. Ever. Ever. They will never win. Ever. Awesome news. Bad news. Peter, you're going to stick your neck out for my gospel? You're going you're gonna to start loving people the way that I love people? You're going to start telling people in America about Jesus? The gates of hell are coming for you, Peter. 
And I don't want you to be misled, young adult, that if you sit here and you say, oh, I believe in Jesus, but you just attend church, he can't have your salvation, but no offense, you're not a threat to Satan. But the moment that you say, oh, you know what? I'm going to start praying for my neighbor. I'm going to start serving that girl at the grocery store. I'm going to start loving people. I'm going to start saying, God, give me opportunities. Just give me one person to start reaching out to. God, I pray that you would use me. God, just show me where. Just give me one opportunity to serve someone, to tell them who you are. Guess what? You have suddenly become a priority on Satan's list. He looks at you and he's like, oh, hey, you were just sitting in church last week doing nothing, and now I have to do something about you. And so it's going to be difficult. In Matthew 10, Jesus sends out his disciples, and I love this because he gives them a pep talk, right? He gives them right before they go and they spread the gospel, he's giving them a pep talk, but it's not like Independence Day, you know, where he, like the president's you know, giving a like, speech and he's like, we will not go quietly into the night. We will not vanish without fight. <laughs> Today we celebrate, you know, our independence day. No, like in the aliens, that movie's awesome. But it's not like that. Like, honestly, I'm looking at this and I'm like, geez, Jesus, like you could have like at least like given them a hurrah. But it's not like that. He gives them kind of this sobering speech. And he says this, and I'm just going to bullet point it. But Matthew 10, 6, he says, go and get my lost sheep. Go and get my lost sheep. And then he says, as freely as you have received grace, give it out. And then he says this, that sometimes you're going to share Jesus and people don't care. That's okay. Shake the dust off and keep going. On my account, you will be um, brought before authorities. You will be mistreated. You will be brought before court. But that's cool because don't worry about it. You're going to have words from the Holy Spirit in that time to say exactly what I need you to say. He says, you will be hated because of me. He says, when you are persecuted, not, not if, when, when you are persecuted, go to the next town. My gospel will divide households. Have no fear. I'm with you. I value you, and I've given you authority. Right now, in the world, there are churches like this one, but they have to meet underground. And they're doing this they're, they're, right now. This is not 100 years ago. This is right now. A couple months ago, 21 Christians in Egypt were beheaded. Why? Because they proclaimed Christ. There's a man named Saeed Abdini. He wanted and prayed that God would use him, and he felt called to go to Iran to plant an orphanage, to take care of orphans for Jesus. He's in jail now. His family's in America. Why? Because he's trying to build Jesus' church. It's not easy, young adult. And if I were to tell you with integrity <laughs> up here that it is, I'd be lying to you. About this time last year, um, we were getting ready for the meetup, and I knew um, for months that I needed to talk to my family. My family is not proclaimed Christians right now. They um, they're awesome, and I love them, and they're my best friends, but 
they're not believers. And so I knew I was supposed to go talk to them. And so um, I wrote them a letter, and it was basically just the gospel. We've all fallen short of the glory of God. All of us have sinned. Um, and Jesus, in his goodness, came down as the propitiation for our sin, that in his grace and in his mercy, he took on everything that we are to give us everything that he is. He's good. He's righteous. He's holy. He's my best friend. He's everything that you're going to need. And so I read this letter to them. And I would love to tell you that that night everybody got saved around the dinner table, but that's not what happened. My sister started crying and then started yelling at me. My brother-in-law essentially told me to shut up. My dad sat silently. My mother um, kind of smoothed things over and was like, well, we all believe in God, Jess. And, you know, like it didn't go well. But I had so much peace when I left the house that night because I knew that this was what I was supposed to do. Jesus doesn't say, you need to be in charge of the results. He just says, you need to try. Just try. And he said, and then shake it off and keep going because you love me. And so I did. And I would come here on Thursday nights and I'd preach the same gospel and I'd still pray for them and I'd still talk to them about Jesus. And then a few months would go by and I've got other stories. I've got stories where there was a four month or four week period here at Young Adults where every Thursday night I held the hand of somebody different as they walked and they passed from death to life. Guys and girls who said, I want Jesus. I'd like to receive Jesus. One particular night, there was a young girl here who um, just week after week would invite a friend and finally that friend came and I got to sit down with her and talk with her about her life and she just said, you know, my life isn't going super great. Um, there's a lot that's missing right now. There's stuff that's missing from my marriage. There's stuff that, there's, a, there's something that's missing I said, I'd love to tell you what that thing is that, that you're missing. It's Jesus. And do you know that God was working in her long before I talked to her? And she said, you know what? I thought so. And I grabbed her hand. It was one of my favorite nights I've had in ministry. And I got to pray with her. And I remember her squeezing my hand as she repeated after me. And I said, Lord, forgive me for my sins. And thank you for saving me. And she grabbed my hand. And the two of us cried. And she repeated the prayer. And you could feel the Holy Spirit in such a real way. Sometimes you will preach the gospel. And people won't care. And sometimes you'll get to see a person pass from death to life. It's not easy, but Jesus said, I have given you authority and I will go with you. Number three, the best way to live your life is to lose it. The best way to live your life is to lose it. Matthew 10, 39, this is at the end of Jesus' speech before he sends out his disciples. He said, whoever finds their life will lose it, and whoever loses their life for my sake will find it. Jim Elliott, who actually died as a missionary, um, pro proclaiming the gospel to the set of people. They were aborigines, and they ended up actually killing him. Um, his wife went back, ministered to the people, and they all got saved. You should read about it. It's insane. But that's how Jesus works. He says, he is no fool who gives what he cannot keep to gain that which he cannot lose. And you guys know I'm a dreamer in here. And I've got big dreams and I've got big hopes and I've got big ambitions. Um, but a couple years ago, I started to realize that my dreams just weren't cutting it 
right, for my soul, like something was missing. And then about 16 months ago, our first child was born, and all of a sudden, I didn't want to spend all my time and all my energy on my dreams anymore. Like, I didn't want to leave her to pursue my dreams. Like, it didn't seem worth it. And I remembered praying and saying, God, I don't want to do this anymore for my dreams, but if it's for, if it's for your dreams, I'm in. What do you dream about? What do you think about, Jesus? What do you want? What can I pursue for your glory? And he said, my people. <laughs> and so for the next 16 months, wouldn't you know it, it was the most fruitful time of my life. When I hold on to my life, I gain nothing. But when I lose it for his sake, I gain everything. I've seen more people get saved here. I've seen this place grow. I've seen Red Rocks grow. I've seen my family be changed in miraculous ways. This is the kind of fruit that we're talking about. And Jesus says, seek first his kingdom Seek first what he wants. Seek his goals, his ambitions, not your dreams, not your goals, not your ambitions, not your kingdom. Seek first his kingdom. And guess what? You get everything else added in. Seek first his goals and his ambitions. Lose yourself for his goals, his ambitions, and everything else will be added to you. There is no life like losing yourself for the sake of his goals and his dreams. And some of you in here tonight, I just need to be honest with you that your dreams and your goals aren't worth your soul. They're not worth all of your time and all of your energy and all of your hopes and all of your dreams. But guess what? What Jesus wants is worth everything that you have, everything you got. And the last point is he will build his church. He will build his church. And I tell you that you are Peter, and on this rock I will build my church, and the gates of hell will not overcome it. The power of presence is incredible, isn't it? You know, you can, like, walk into school and be bullied by Danielle, and you're like, you know, you're scared, and you're afraid. But the moment, like, you roll in with, like, your best friend, right, and she could even be short, it doesn't matter. There's a power in her presence being there. You roll into a place, you know, where normally you're kind of bothered by someone and your dad's there, and it's like, I'm not afraid. I'm afraid you're going to steal my soda today. Nope. <laughs> there is power in presence. There's power. And Jesus says, isn't it interesting that he doesn't say, Peter, you're going to build my church. He says, I'll build my church, Peter. I'll build my church, Red Rocks. I'll build my church. And guess what? You get to watch me do it through you. But the responsibility isn't yours. The, the, the power that it takes isn't yours. And there's a power in my presence. In Matthew 28, as Jesus sends out his disciples, he says, I have been given all authority, therefore go. This is the very last thing he says before he leaves. He says, therefore go into all the nations. And we believe that that means Lakewood, and that means Littleton, and that means Highlands Ranch, and that means Boulder. <laughs> and you preach the gospel, and you baptize them in the name of the Father and the Son and the Holy Spirit. And then he says this, and lo, I am 
with you always. There is power in walking into a conversation and knowing you're not alone, that he is with you, that he will build his church, that it's not up to you, that he will give you the words. He will build his church. 1 John 4 says this, anyone who acknowledges that Jesus is the son of God, again, this is the only requirement, young adult, you can be way dumb in here, you can be way smart in here, you can be the prettiest, you can be the ugliest, you can be the best, you can be the worst. There is only one requirement in God's kingdom, and that's that you say that he's the Messiah. And then he says, the son of God lives in you, and you live in the son of God. Wherever you go, he goes to the ends of the earth, to Littleton. It doesn't matter. He goes with you. There's authority there, young adult. And so Peter, he takes Jesus' promise and at Pentecost, which was the day that the promise of Jesus was fulfilled, he said, lo, I will be with you always. And at Pentecost, the Holy Spirit came down. And I just need to let you know if you're in here and you've received Jesus Christ, and this is gonna, it's gonna take longer than I have tonight, but he has given you the Holy Spirit, the same spirit that raised Jesus from the dead presides in you. And so wherever you go, he goes. It's just how it is. The Holy Spirit enters Peter and he stands before thousands of people. At once there was 12 disciples and he stands before all of these people and he preaches the gospel the very first time. And 3,000 people get saved. Why? Not because Peter's great. <laughs> because Jesus is with him and he will build his church. And can I just tell you that tonight it's not up to you. He goes with you. He goes before you. There is no conversation that you will have. There is no prayer that you are praying. There is no um, person that you are going to go serve that he is not there saying, I'll build my church. I'll build my church. I'll build my church. And the gates of hell can't stop me. And so the only question for us tonight, you guys, is not, am I qualified? Am I good enough? Do I have the words? Do I have the theology? The only question for us tonight is he is going to get what he wants. He's going to build his church. The only question for you is, are you simply going to be available to join him? And so um, will you guys stand? Um, during worship, you are welcome to come up here and pray for these names. There is faith in prayer. There is answers in prayer, and so you can pray for these people. If you have people that you want to, in your life, that you want to write down and in faith, um, just say, God, I believe that you're the Messiah. You're the king. You're everything. You're everything I ever wanted. You're everything I'll ever need. Write down their names, and tonight pray for them. And I would love, love, love if every person in here tonight would just praise him, knowing that he is your Messiah. He's not a felt board. He's everything. He's our king. And so let's worship him tonight in reverence.